It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at WDWS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. Happy sunny Saturday on an open week for Illinois football. Still plenty of football to talk about, and we'll do that this morning. Lauren Tate here as well. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Mr. Tate, what do you say this morning? Well, I was shocked. To see, I must be getting used to the cold weather because I walked out and I didn't think it was too cold today. And I looked at my uh, phone, it's 29 degrees, so I don't know. Well, That was earlier. That's where we're at when 29 feels like a heat wave. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the sun is out. And last Sunday, as recently as last Sunday, I played golf. Yeah, I know. And I know the guys I play golf with are biting at the bit already to... Is winter over? <laughs> We're a month away from winter starting, I think. But uh, they're talking about trying to get out again uh, before too long. They become amateur um, meteorologists <laughs> looking at the 10-day forecast. Okay. We're looking for an opening. But we got plenty to talk about. Again, the phone line is open. We're here until 11 o'clock. We'll talk Illinois and Big Ten football. Among our guests this morning, Howard Griffith from uh, BTN will join us about 9.15. We'll also talk to uh, Scott Docterman in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes have a big game today, and of course, Iowa is the next opponent for the U of I coming up next week. Illinois, one of three teams with the open week this week, Maryland and Purdue, not on the schedule uh, today as well. But Iowa plays uh, those uh, number seven ranked Minnesota Golden Gophers at three o'clock this afternoon, Iowa. Maybe surprisingly, maybe not, but a three-point favorite in that game. Yeah, I, I, and they've been a three-point favorite all week. And I, I just, uh, I, everybody keeps expecting Minnesota to flop, but they shocked the world against Penn State, and now nobody knows what to think. And and Penn State's playing Indiana. Nobody knows what to think there anymore because Indiana's seven and two. And if they would win an eighth game, Steve, it would be the fifth time in history they've won that many games. <laughs> And they're talking. They're, they're trying to figure out if they can get in the uh, to the uh, four-team playoff picture. Yeah, they can keep winning, but that's the well, only. Yeah, way. yeah, that's right. I mean, if they beat they, Ohio, if they beat Ohio State, yeah. absolutely. You couldn't keep them out then. Well, I yeah, although that one loss would hurt, but you know they're going to have to put some one loss. Some one loss team's going to make it. Right. Well, I thought uh, I still think Penn State's a better team than Minnesota. And they were moving down late to win that game. They just, they made a couple of mistakes there, but they were moving all over them there late in the game. Yeah, they were. But, you know, the, the early in that game, their, their pass defense was really shoddy. So we'll talk more about that. We've got basketball to talk about. Uh, we'll visit with Josh Imatorbebe, the wide receiver for it's the— It's easy for you to say. —wide receiver for the Illini, the Big Ten co-offensive player of the week. Lauren caught up with him a day or so ago. At 10 o'clock, an author who used to work for Sports Illustrated named Lars Anderson will join us. There was a symposium the last couple of days over at Memorial Stadium in the Colonnades Club uh, focused on Red Grange. And some authors of Red, Red Grange's 
Red Grange books were on hand, including uh, Lars Anderson. And uh, we talked to him a little bit about Red Grange and, and his impact on a whole lot of things back in the day. And then at 10.20-ish, Kofi Coburn, the Big Ten freshman of the week in basketball, will join us for a few minutes. And Scott Ritchie will stop in to visit with us as well. Plenty of time for an open line during that time, 356-9397. Big Ten basketball last night, Michigan beat Elon 70-50. The Wolverines are 3-0. and Iowa got by Oral Roberts. I forgot to write the score down, but uh, Iowa win- wins that game. Nebraska over South Dakota State, 90-73. So Nebraska's 1-2 and in the season. Minnesota lost to Utah. 73-69. That's their third loss, Steve. They're 1-3 and three on the season. And the uh, next Illinois opponent, Hawaii, played late in Honolulu. And I'm guessing they're on their way to uh, Champaign-Urbana by now, or later today at least. They beat Portland State 83-75. Hawaii is 3-1 and one on the season. And looking at their schedule, they come to the mainland, uh, you figure you come that far, you'd play more than one game. Yeah. That, that's what they're doing. They're I certainly, I, th- I, I thought they would, but um, it's a one-game operation, huh? You'd think that they would uh, play Marquette or DePaul or somebody else in the Midwest while they're here. I wanted to mention to you, and I, I told you earlier, the Big Ten now has lost more games in basketball than any of the other five major conferences, the other, other four major conferences. And the Big 12 has just three losses so far. The Pac-12 is just three losses so far. UCLA beat UNLV last night, and the Big Ten has lost 12. That's a, that's, the reason I bring it up is it's hard. If you A few years ago, two years ago, Penn State won 26 games and didn't go to the NCAA tournament. And there are a lot of things that go into the committee considers, but they do consider these games early – the same as games late, so if you lose a lot of games early, it really it, it means that the it means several things. In one case, if you're a, one of, one of the uh, bubble teams, let's call it, and you play somebody that's lost all those games, you don't gain anything. So I'm just saying that this doesn't help any team, the, the Big Ten at all, when they lose this many games early. And of course, it's Minnesota, Nebraska, and some you know some of those teams that aren't going to be probably there anyway. I understand, but but uh, still, uh, twelve losses this early. Uh, Steve, it's only two weeks now. We're only two weeks into the season by Tuesday, and uh, and you look around and you, and and so teams like the, from the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve are going to have advantages because they've lost a lot fewer games later on. It'll it'll matter. Well, there's only six teams in the Big Ten that have not lost so far, and Rutgers is one of them. Yeah, and Indiana and Michigan simply don't play anyone right. in, the, in the whole month of November worthy uh, of, of playing them. I mean, they just, they've got easy games all the way through, no tough games. Indiana plays eight consecutive home games, and their eighth game is against Florida State. That'll be their first test, and that's in December. And, of course, once they get into the Big Ten, it's a different story, but but the problem is right now, uh, some of these teams are, are going to have really good records, but going into the Big Ten, that, that they aren't necessarily going to be uh, qualifiers. Ohio State is three and zero, and they had a big win over Villanova. They've got that's a, a little, yeah. That's a, they beat Cincinnati too. That's right. So Ohio State's the real deal this season up here, apparently. By the way, EJ Liddell is playing 
essentially sixth man, mm -hmm. uh, top sub for them. He's not starting, or but uh, that that'll tell you how good they are because he's pretty good. Mother basketball news: Illinois with a couple of uh, signees this week. Earlier in the week, Andre Corbello signed, and then uh, Coleman Hawkins, and he's in town. He's going to officially sign, I think, today between games. Yeah, he's going to sign at noon. Yeah. Yep. And he played last night, 17 points, 10 rebounds for prolific prep. They beat uh, St. Louis Christian Academy 107-82. He'll sign today at noon and play again at 6 o'clock. Your thoughts on him? Tall, slender, good release, probably two years away, I'm guessing. Power forward type, uh, stretch four, can step out and shoot it. Um, uh, just needs to, he's slender. He needs to put on some beef. Uh, if it's going to be a competition but a competition next year at, at the four, he's going to be um, hard-pressed to to, uh, to be the guy. I mean, Illinois, I suppose, will still have Georgie at the four next year, at least part-time. And then you've got uh, Bosman's Verdunk, who is much more physically advanced and I think also a very good shooter. I think he's going to be pretty good. It's just that he's been out for the last months because of that uh, stress fracture, and he's just getting into shape, and, he, and the game's a little fast for him right now. So uh, we can talk about that. A few other things earlier in the week, Josh Whitman with a contract extension. Deserved. Yep. Yeah, I, I think without when you raise <laughs> when you raise as much money as he has raised and into the millions of dollars, millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, how what's what should your salary be? You know, I mean, if you didn't have him, how many more how many millions wouldn't you have gotten? He was working on a straight commission. Oh yeah, he'd he'd, <laughs> ma he'd be making more if he was on a commission, but he'd be making ultimately eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars. He can get by on that. You'd think so <laughs> in Champaign-Urbana. Yep. Yeah. Women's basketball this afternoon at the State Farm Center, two o'clock. Illinois off to a three and zero start. They take on Illinois State today. Volleyball lost in pretty quick fashion last night to number eight Penn State, twenty-five fifteen, twenty-five twenty-two, twenty-five eighteen. The Illini ranked 25th this week in the uh, volleyball poll, now 12-12 and 12 on the season, Lauren, and 7-8 and eight in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a disappointing season. It's just uh, the top teams are just too good for the Illini, and, and uh, the, you know, some of those teams that have been good have stayed good. And Illinois, which was the Final Four team last year, has uh, definitely fallen. Should pick up a win tonight. They play Rutgers. Over at Huff, it's yep. 80s night. I don't know if that means you got to be 80 to get in. <laughs> so, well, I qualify for that. You, you, you got a front row seat. <laughs> 80s night over at Huff tonight for Illinois Volleyball and uh, Rutgers. A few area high school teams, I mean just a few, three or four, still alive in the uh, state playoffs as we're in the quarterfinals. We could talk about that if you like. Phone line is open, 356-9397 is the number. The Big Ten games today. Michigan State at Michigan. The Wolverines about a 14-point favorite. Number 24, Indiana at Penn State. Penn State about a 15-point favorite in that ballgame. Wisconsin is at Nebraska. The same margin there. A couple of touchdowns. Northwestern, as bad as they're playing, they're a 41-point favorite to play a, a UMass team that's not very good, obviously, in a non-league game. Then Ohio State is a 53-point favorite to beat Rutgers on the road. Is that a record? 53-point? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's got to be close. It does, you would think. 
I, let me look and see what the uh, because you know when you get 50 points ahead you start playing the reserves and you never know how the game's gonna right. turn out of course it who knows the um the over under on that is 62 well you i'd take the over on that one for sure. <laughs> ohio state will score that many probably yeah and then minnesota and iowa this afternoon at three o'clock illinois is off along with maryland and purdue We'll continue on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll talk some Big Ten and Illinois football with Howard Griffith coming up next. Stay with us. Join us later today for Illini women's basketball at 2 o'clock as they take on Illinois State at State Farm Center. Mike Kuhn has all the play-by-play starting today at 2. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk, everybody. Brought to you by the Pella Window Store, Illini Pella. With Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Illinois does not play today. They have the open week. We're going to talk Illinois football anyway. Howard Griffith from BTN is with us. Before we talk about today's games, Howard, let's uh, go back a week. Where were you when Illinois was coming back in the uh, fourth quarter at Michigan State? I was at home since I'm not in studio uh, on Saturday. I just do the pregame show, um, tailgate. But I had uh, already turned the camera. (laughs) <laughs> just because I'd seen what had already taken place. And I was like, well, it's been a good run. And then the next thing I know, I see a tweet. Actually, I don't even see the end of the game, but I think I saw a tweet um, from Ricky Smalling talking about uh, we're going bowling. What? <laughs> what happened? So, uh, luckily, I recorded the game, was able to get back and watch it, and I also saw the coaches film earlier in the week. So, it was uh, obviously a dramatic comeback, and, kind of something that we've become used to with this Illinois football team uh, this year, taking the football away and turning those takeaways into points. I appreciate your honesty. Not everybody would have admitted that they turned the game <laughs> off, but uh, we, we appreciate that. But certainly... Well, I was there and my eyes were glazed. Yep, I hear you. <laughs> Somebody asked me about it the next day. So the reports are Illinois won that ball game, and I said I was in the press box doing the radio, but I cannot confirm that. <laughs> it, it was that surreal, but certainly something yeah. uh, good for Lovey Smith and the program, and got them bowl eligible, which I know makes you happy. Yeah, you know, really, you know, those guys have done a great job. Listen, things didn't start out the way things had to start out and go on the way that the Illinois fans would like, but you have to really be encouraged. Uh, if you just look at from the team standpoint, if these guys have bought in uh, to what's being said from the front of the room, Coach Smith and his assistant coaches have obviously done a great job of, of getting his guys in position and believing uh, that they could turn things around, and they did. Because you remember probably a month ago, uh, before the, the win against the Badgers, uh, Coach Smith was talking about just how close they were. And it was interesting. We were interviewing uh, Urban Meyer uh, Wednesday, and that's what stuck out to him. And he said, you know, earlier he saw a look on Coach Smith's face that said, hey, we're, we're a whole lot better than people are giving us credit for, and it's really panned out uh, the last month or so. You know, uh, the one thing I noticed about the game, Griff, is that Illinois got behind 28-3, to but they held, they held Michigan State without a, a touchdown, for the next 11 possessions, all 11, the last 11 yeah. possessions in the game. So they must have been doing something defensively that's a little better than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, really they have. And, you know, they you go back to the Badger game, I think that's where it all started. They set their game plan, do a great job of stopping the run, and they came up with some uh, fortunate turnovers in that game. 
Then the next week they follow up against a team that could not run, and they set their defense to take away the pass. So, mm-hmm. you know, they've been able to make a lot of plays on the defensive side. And uh, offensively, they've been getting enough out of the offense to, to really put games away. So, you know, right now uh, they're in a pretty good position. I know they're feeling good about themselves with the new facility in place as well. And, and really, you look at these next couple of games, you know, these are games that are very winnable for Illinois, and I don't know that uh, we would have looked at the schedule like that at the beginning of the year. Well, let's talk a little bit about Iowa-Minnesota. Illinois' next game is with Iowa, and now you've got them playing mm-hmm. Minnesota today. What, uh, what do you think? Uh, how do you see that game? Man, this, this Minnesota team is, is obviously coming off a huge win last week, uh, being doubted by a lot of people. I think, I'd say nationally, I think people that are you know, inside the footprint that have been watching them you know, still probably still had questions, but, you know, for them to be able to come out and run the football, and one thing I knew that they had was they've got three very capable wide receivers to go out and, you know, I think going to play on Sunday, all three of them, and uh, they've got a quarterback in, in, in Morgan that's really been poised, and this offensive line has grown up a lot. So I was going to have their hands full. I think Coach Parker will have to do some things to change things up as far as what's going on with the defensive front to try to free some guys up, you may see them blitz a little bit more than traditionally they have because they can't allow Morgan to be comfortable in the pocket. If he is, you know, he's going to have a field day of being able to pick this, uh, their secondary apart because I think Minnesota has the edge there. But, you know, one of the players that I had a chance to talk to was A.J. Epinesa, and he hasn't been putting up the numbers uh, that he would have expected or that people, I think, are expecting of him. But he's still a, a big-time defensive lineman uh, that I think is, whenever he decides to leave is going to be a first-round draft pick. But he's being double and triple teamed, and uh, he's going to have to find some other guys that are going to have to step up and make some plays to really help that Iowa defense out because I think they're going to need to take the football away to be able to score because offensively they haven't been running the ball well. So I think they're going to need to get points in special teams and, and maybe also on the defensive side of the ball. Talking Big Ten football with Howard Griffith. Eight Big Ten teams are bowl eligible, including uh, the most recent entry into that group is Illinois. Michigan State and Nebraska can get uh, bowl eligible with two more wins, and we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, Somebody else is in that same boat as well. Um, I can't think who it is now, but uh, Purdue. Purdue needs two more wins as well. So do you think Big Ten gets more than uh, the eight now bowl eligible? It's going to be tough, right? You, you look at Nebraska, and they obviously need to come up with a win uh, versus the Badgers, and that's going to be a tough one. You look at the last two outings versus uh, Wisconsin. Um, Jonathan Taylor's had a field day running the football over 200 yards, I believe, in both of those contests. So, you know, he's on the verge of setting some history as well. Uh, when you talk about you know breaking or surpassing a guy like Herschel Walker uh, after three seasons of college football, so. He's got some, some motivation, and that team has some motivation as well. I think it's going to be tough, though, uh, for the other teams to, to get there. It's a path, but you just don't know. There's going to be some good games down the stretch to see. But Purdue has been so banged up this year, right? They keep losing their best players. But, but what I really like is that that's another team that continues to fight, and they're not making excuses about the injuries that they've had. They continue to go out and, and play and, and keep developing players. And, and that's one of the things I think will bowl really well for them uh, in the coming years uh, as they got some critical and I think some very valuable experience 
for a lot of these young players that, that are playing for that program. The uh, college football playoffs, how do you have your four teams lined up at this point, knowing there's a couple of weeks left? Yeah, you know what? Uh, for me, you, you look at uh, the Pac-12, and you look at Oregon and Utah, I would have Minnesota ahead of those guys because they're you know, undefeated after after the win they had last week. And, you know, I, I like where they are. And maybe I was a little aggressive. I put them in there at four. Uh, but that's kind of where I had them. I had, uh, I believe, LSU, Ohio State, uh, Clemson, and then I had Minnesota right there uh, because of the win and what they were able to do. And they were at home. But the Georgia team, I, I know a lot of people were like Georgia and giving them a lot of credit for the win over, I think, Florida and, and also the home win over uh, Notre Dame. But I don't think Notre Dame is one of those elite teams. So I don't give Georgia as much credit uh, for that Notre Dame victory as I think people do around the country. So I still have a lot more questions. But we're going to see. You know, you look at Alabama, people are, are complaining about necessarily about their schedule and what's going on there. I think the same thing is with Clemson. But we'll have to wait and see. The thing is going to play itself out. But you, when you look at it right now, uh, you know, the SEC has is, is got quite a few teams in striking distance. But I think if a Minnesota takes that next step tomorrow – versus Iowa and able to come out with a win, you know, I think they'll move even higher in the rankings. Well, I'd like to ask you about a guy named Dre Brown because uh, you ought to mm -hmm. appreciate his running style. It's a little bit yeah. like your own. <laughs> and, yep. uh, you know, there's some talk that, uh, you know, he could probably uh, get a waiver for a sixth year if he wants to come back next year. What are your thoughts about his style and whether he should come back next year? You know, I like his style. He's a tough kid. And, and you know, you look at it and it'll He's had injuries, uh, and it's really been tough for him. Uh, but he's battled back and, and continued to put himself in position. Uh, and just another one of those guys you think and you look at, it and you're like, wow, you know, it, it, it's, it's, his career has come to an end so quickly uh, because of the injuries and those types of things. But I like his style. And I think if he can get an opportunity to come back and continue to help the program, I think it would be huge for him. And I think he, he probably would like to take advantage of it. But I also would understand if he wants to move on uh, with life and, and look at what other opportunities he has. But I think him coming back would be a huge boost to the program um, as they continue to try to build this roster, the confidence that the team is going to have, not only with him, but with a lot of the players that have an opportunity to be back, I think would be sky high. That's Howard Griffith. As always, we appreciate your time. Love talking Big Ten football with you, and uh, we'll do it again soon. All right, sounds good. Enjoy the game today, guys. Okay, Thanks, see Howard. You. you can see Howard on BTN. As we speak, he'll be getting on the air there for uh, coverage of the pregame activities heading up to today's games. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a really good time to have a, a, a week off because – just in talking to Reggie Corbin, this he's got bruises, he's got, he got bumps. You know, people don't realize when you get hit as many times. All the players are, are just kind of at a point in the season with two games to go. Yeah, you know, they just need a, a week off, and I think they'll be better for it. Now, uh, Iowa's got a tough one in Minnesota, and they'll get some bumps and bruises in that one. That'll be a heck of a game today. I think that's a three o'clock game, and that's that's a game I want to see because I I don't I think it's going to be close. On the other hand, of the week off coming at a good time, you can turn that around and say you're riding a four-game winning streak. Sure. Coming off a huge win, let's keep it going. Yeah, I understand, but I, I, I'm just, I'm just, 
But you don't basing, have a choice. <laughs> I'm basing a lot of what I'm saying on just my discussion with Reggie and his sure. talk about different guys, and maybe you can get Woods back. Maybe you get Bituku back. Maybe you get some guys back that are that have been out and, and, you know, just a chance to start over against Iowa. That's going to be a really tough assignment up there. I mean, that's going to be a, a bruiser. The one thing that, one thing that uh, you know about Iowa is that they're going to try to run the football and they're going to probably play really tough defense against the run. And, and you better be, uh, you know, you better bring your lunch pail with you because it's going to be a long day. My suggestion is throw it to number nine. That's <laughs> not a bad idea. As often as you can. They throw, he's targeted extremely few times based on his production. Right. He caught you'd four balls. You, for Yeah, you'd think you'd throw a little more often that toward him. We're talking about Bebe, of course, and you're going to hear from Bebe coming up in about 15 or 20 minutes here on the Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Back to, uh, to Dre Brown for a moment. He'd be a nice guy to have to kind of build your running back core around next year. I mean, oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. Epstein will be back. And, yeah. and yes, uh, and Bonner will be back, and they've got some, some other prospects. But Dre Brown is bordering on on being an all-star. I mean, he's really – he's terrific on kickoff returns, and, and he's a, he's an outstanding ball carrier. I just don't know. Does he want a sixth-year college football? He is married. He does have a degree. Does he want to – come back or does he does he think he can play professional i don't know what his goals are i think uh, i could see a lot of professional teams giving he may not get he's not going to get drafted i don't think whenever he goes unless he has he unless he stays and has a tremendous year next year but i can see opportunities for a guy like that that can do more than one thing yeah making a roster yeah uh you like rumors don't you of course Uh, well uh there's a rumor that he and, and lovey talked this week but it's my thinking that if he dis- had made a decision, if they've made a decision privately that whether or not he's going to come back, why would you tell anybody? You're still recruiting. You still sure. want to get better players. And you've got room for him. You've only got eight scholarships uh, committed at this point, and I know, And they're going to keep some open for players who want to come, uh, who want to transfer in or who might want to extend their <laughs> their career one more year. So, you know, I'm sure that by now they've got a pretty good idea but what what he what he's going to do, but I'm sure also that when you've suffered as many injuries have as he has, you would take that into consideration number 1 and you would want to play the last two games here before the bowl game before you come sure. to any conclusions and, and finalize your conclusion. Why, you know, because I don't want to bring it. You know, I mean, guys can get hurt. This it's a tough game, and and and, and talking to Reggie, I I said something to Reggie about you know, well, would you like to come back? And he says, I'm too. You know, this is it. I I don't I don't want to. If I'm gonna play more, I think if he wants to play any more football, he wants to get paid for it. Sure. It is nine twenty nine. WDWS Champaign Urbana. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll continue in just a moment. We'll go to Iowa City. A lot going on. Of course, Iowa is the Illini's next opponent coming up next week. They have a big game today against Minnesota. We'll check in with uh, Scott Docterman, who writes for The Athletic, covering Iowa sports in Iowa City. We'll do that and have more after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, moving up on 933 with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. We're with you until 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 
9397. Of course, Illinois has the open week on the football field, though they did some recruiting. The coaches went out. Uh, they practiced a couple of days earlier this week. And then next week, it's a trip to Iowa City. We're going to Iowa City right now. Scott Docterman, who writes for The Athletic covering Iowa, is with us from Iowa City. Good morning, Scott. How you doing? I'm wonderful, Steve and Lauren. How are you guys? Good. You've got a big game uh, to worry about as far as coverage before Illinois comes to town next week. As Iowa, ranked 23rd in the country, takes on number 7 Minnesota this afternoon at 3 o'clock at mm-hmm. Kinnick Stadium. I'm sure the uh, the state of Iowa is buzzing about that one. Yeah, it sure is. It's been a you know it's been an interesting year for the Hawkeyes. Uh, you know they have three losses, all to ranked teams by a combined 14 points. So it's been kind of a frustrating uh, year for the Hawkeyes because they are pretty close to being a very very good team, a championship caliber team but they're also very far away in just a few little deficit areas that's kept them into this kind of uh, uh, spin cycle that they've been in for the last several years of being pretty good, really good, but never great. What are those deficit areas as you see them? You know, I'd probably start on the offensive side of the ball, and, and Iowa is just not running the ball the way it used to. That was its uh, forte for many, many years is run the ball physical fashion and and really where it is is it's the guard play uh, Iowa has tremendous tackles both of which are NFL caliber players in Tristan Wirth and Alaric Jackson they have a pretty good young center in Tyler Linderbaum but the guard play has been really suspect and what we saw especially against Penn State and Michigan was getting attacked right there in the middle of the of the line whether it was both in the run play or, or also in, in blitzes and and straight up uh, one-on-one situations where they're just not able to get that either that push or meet the the blitzers or the the linebackers head on and it's really caused a lot of problems for Iowa and its running game and then also it's it's created a lot of sacks where uh, Iowa is a little more explosive than in the past offensively as far as wide receivers and quarterback uh, Nate Stanley goes but it's just that one deficit area has really hurt them and uh, prevented them from extending drives getting points and and winning these close games. Scott, you did an analysis on, on the, the line blocking, uh, particularly comparing Wisconsin and Iowa. I, explain the difference between the way those two teams go about it. Yeah, Iowa likes to uh, run what's called a zone scheme, which is usually it, it wants its linemen to run kind of in one motion uh, at attack at a defensive uh, team at, at every spot and then allow its running backs to kind of cut off that. And that was a really good uh, – the NFL uses it a lot. That was a really good strategy 20 years ago when front seven uh, were pretty big. You had a big middle linebacker who was 250 pounds, and you figure if I can get an athletic uh, tough guard who weighs 290 to get to that reach block on the middle linebacker, you could really run all day. And that's what really worked for Iowa under Kirk Ferentz for a long time. Uh, Wisconsin runs, you know, a gap scheme, which is more man-on-man and just t- kind of overwhelms you with size and power. And it, uh, it, it, I think it's more effective these days because, as we've seen, defenses have changed. You know, they're not a 4-3 uh, alignment anymore. They're not big linebackers. They're not 300-pounders up front. A lot of times teams are running 3-3-5s or what have you. So, it's, uh, you know, in this case, your size could be an advantage not necessarily in space like an Iowa system. And I think, you know, the one thing about Iowa system, it still works. It still works great. 
but you've got to make sure that you get – all of your guys have to at least get somebody uh, within a close period of space. And in an Iowa's case, they have a couple of detriments, and in a lot of times everybody could block somebody and still have a one-yard gain because one person missed his block, one person wasn't quite fast enough, or there was too many quick defenders to, to kind of slice through an opening uh, before the lineman was ready to, to block him. You know, uh, Scott, I would say this about Iowa. They have a brand. They have a DNA. They have a system. You had the same coach there for 20-odd years. I mean, I, I think that there's a, a benefit to that, even though I'm sure that they're, you know, they want to win all those close games, and they're not going to, by the way. In some years you do, and some years you don't. But, but uh, Illinois, I, 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 the thing that I can't find for Illinois is that DNA, that system that, Everybody understands, you know, what's going to happen. I mean, even going against Wisconsin today, they've got that. They've got a system that that's been there for a long time since Alvarez. I just talk about the benefits of of having that that you know you're going to be good in certain things. Yeah, I think they can they can recruit to it. I think they play to it, and they can make it happen for them. And and a lot of players that they can kind of weed out in the recruiting process because they know. They won't fit for some certain reason, and I think it helps. I think it establishes what Iowa is, and you know, and a reputation, and and it's really helpful. And and uh, you know, people who are experts at coaching to that certain uh, you know type of specific system really helps out. But you know, after a while, it becomes easier to spot if you're an opponent. You oh, yeah. understand what it takes to beat you, and if you don't change, and I think that in some cases is Iowa's problem is it doesn't change enough offensively that it can get stale, it can get repetitive, and then all of a sudden you're, you're rushing for less than four yards of carry and you're 97th in the country in that category. So I think that's really kind of an issue. You know, whereas, you know, but the stability, of course, is, is important. I mean, they have a good coaching staff that's been in place, that's been bowl eligible, you know, all but once in the last 18, now 19 years. So, I mean, there, there certainly are benefits in it, and they outweigh the – the stale nature sometimes of the game. Visiting with uh, Scott Docterman, writes for The Athletic in Iowa City. Speaking of bowl eligible, Iowa is there again with that 6-3 and three record with three games left. Minnesota, Illinois, both at home, and then at Nebraska on Friday the uh, 29th. Are you hearing any early bowl talk, or is it a bit too early to, to kind of peg where the Hawkeyes might go this year? You know, it's, it's still it's, it's a little early, but... You know, part of the issue this time around, it's the sixth year of a six-year um, agreement with all these bowls. So there's a lot that they – there are a few that they can't go to. They've been to the Outback Bowl twice in that six-year period, so they can't go to the Outback Bowl. Uh, they're not going to go to the pinstripe. They've been there. Uh, the Gator Bowl is, is – the, it's the Big Ten year this year there. So uh, the Gator Bowl is not going to pick Iowa. So right now, I would say that probably California looks most realistic bowl is probably most in play followed by maybe the red box bowl there's a lot of you know one thing about the big 10 is there's there's kind of a lot a line of separation this year uh where there's not like that bunched up ton of six and six caliber teams you're going to have you know a handful of nine and three type teams or eight and four teams so it, it really limits the options and a good couple of teams are going to slip down but i would say if they win out they've got a shot at the citrus bowl um, more than likely, that puts them in the Holiday Bowl. If they uh, lose, say, two games, they're probably in the Red Box Bowl. And 
in San Francisco. So, um, but I think it's probably California at this point. Well, when we come in uh, next week, uh, we can change everything here. Illinois could move ahead of Ohio, maybe in terms of the bowl selection. But I got to get you to basketball before we uh, let you go. Won a nice game. Iowa won a nice game against Oral Roberts last night. But where are where is Iowa? Where is Bohannon? Uh, what do you think? I think they're in uh, they're in trouble as a team. I really do. I, I think they've got a good front court. They've got a great center and. Luca Garza, they've got a great wing in Joe Wee's camp, and they've got some good complementary players in that front court. But but right now, I mean, Iowa's problem really in the whole Fran McCaffrey era has been defense and specifically stopping the opponent's, uh, you know, front, uh, you know, the, the point guard and stopping the ball and dribble drive penetration. And, and right now they're probably more of a deficit than they've been in the past. So we saw that against DePaul, that DePaul just had too much quickness for Iowa. And I imagine that the rest of the Big Ten is going to be the same way. They've got some really, really difficult non-conference games coming up. They play Texas Tech, uh, the, you know, in Vegas. They they go to they play Cincinnati in Chicago. Uh, they they play Iowa State, which is always a difficult game. Uh, and then plus you got 20 Big Ten games. I think this is going to be a really challenging year. And as far as Bohannon goes, he's he's trying to see if he can play and play effectively with that hip. Uh, I think he's you know ahead of. You know, ahead of the schedule, no doubt about it. But um, you know, I think he's just wanting to see how it responds. I mean, one game, two games, he could probably work with. But uh, you know, if he can get to eight or nine and be pain-free and feel like his uh, mobility is, uh, is is better, then I think he'll probably try to give it a go this year. Otherwise, he'll redshirt. What are the advantages and disadvantages of a coach having two sons on the same team? Well, I think the the biggest uh, I've heard this a few times before in the past, which is if you're the if you're a coach and you have a son that's on your team, you either better be the best player or the worst player. And in <laughs> Iowa's case, unfortunately, it's neither. Uh-huh. Uh, you know that, that that Connor McCaffrey's a starter. He's not necessarily a scorer. He's a starting point guard right now. And um, I think you know if if they he leads them to success then I think it's a good thing. But if not, um, with a team that I think can struggle, as I mentioned, I think it, it could draw a lot of lightning um, from fans. And, uh, you know, and, and Fran McCaffrey is kind of in a, a state where I would say he's, you know, the critical mass is kind of hedged against him. I wouldn't say that they overly want him gone necessarily, but I don't think that there's a, uh, a true love for, for Fran right now. And so if, if they feel like his son is getting more minutes and not playing very well, it could really turn into a divisive factor for the fan base and potentially the team. Scott, I know that uh, Fran wants to play good defense, and I've never seen uh, – in fact, I go all the way back to Davis. Uh, I, it seemed like uh, that Iowa has always had a weakness playing defense. I, I'm, I'm interested because I look at Virginia starts uh, – they play a couple of games this year, and already they're holding teams under 40 points. And I'm thinking, how does the guy do it? And why can't everybody copy what's going on at Virginia? Why can't people copy that? Well, you're you're exactly right. I mean, I think Bo Ryan probably came the closest, and you know, Dick Bennett, Tony Bennett, and now well, that's know, family. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but I, I guess I with Iowa, he wants to play fast. He wants to get up and down the court, and that leaves you, you know, incredibly vulnerable. To, uh, to all kinds of different <laughs> offensive transition. The problem for Iowa is that they're not recruiting the types of guards, especially, that can stop it, that can 
you know, dribble, drive, penetrate, and be able to do the same on the defensive end of the floor. And, and I think, uh, you know, that's been a, a huge problem for them. They've been last uh, in more than half of his years in defense. And some of that's a, a product of way more possessions because they do play fast. But at the same time, it just does I, I think you almost have to coach to the people you recruit. And Iowa's not going to recruit elite-level talent and elite-level speed. So uh, kind of like on Ferentz, Ferentz has done a really smart job of that, of understanding in Iowa you can recruit offensive linemen who can uh, you know pave the way for you, big guys, strong guys, and, and play that style. He's not, he's not going to play a – you know, a spread style offense because he just can't recruit those players. Well, I think Fran has kind of gone the other way. He wants to play his style. It's more entertaining, certainly, but I think it's really left him at a deficit on uh, in defense. And this year, I think it, it will really come to the – you'll definitely notice it through the course of the season. Back to this uh, football game this afternoon, Minnesota and Iowa, 3 o'clock at Kinnick Stadium. Are you sold on Minnesota? What, what do you think about them, and what do you think is going to happen today? I am sold on Minnesota. I wasn't necessarily uh, before last week. I thought that they were a product of kind of their schedule, uh, but the way that they played against Penn State and the way that they uh, create problems on both sides of the ball, I think they are a, a tremendous team. This is the best Minnesota team I've seen, and you know, probably in my lifetime. And uh, but that said, coming to Iowa City is never easy. It's not easy for uh, the you know the Gophers. They haven't won here in 20 years. They've won once in the last 30. And and Iowa against top ten competition is is you know very good is very good especially in the month of November uh, since uh, 2008 they've played five top ten teams at Kinnick after uh, October 30th and they're four and one and the one loss came when the opponent uh, was Burrell Pryor in Ohio State 2010 scored in uh, the final two minutes of the game so th- this is uh, they've got a blackout going alternative uniforms uh, you know Floyd of Rosedale at stake. This is, you know, and, and they are a good team. I mean, their three losses have been very, very close. So I would expect a very difficult game for the Gophers. I also think Iowa, you know, Iowa can be beaten, no doubt about it. But I think this could be a – if they win this game, let's put it this way, they deserve everything they get, including a Rose Bowl nod. Hey, Scott, we always appreciate your time. Thanks for uh, taking some of that time with us today. And uh, good luck this afternoon covering that ball game. We'll talk to you soon. All right, great. Thanks so much, and I look forward to seeing you guys next week. Hey, thanks, Scott. You bet. That's Scott Docterman with us from Iowa City. He writes for The Athletic, covering uh, the Hawkeyes football and basketball. Nobody in the Big Ten has a guy that covers their team better than he covers Iowa. It's just a fact. He's, uh, I'm not sure what, I'm not real familiar with his background prior to writing for The Athletic, but he certainly seems to have found his niche there. Yeah, well, he's a writer in, in Iowa before. Right. Yeah, I mean, he was, uh, he was a newspaper guy. Yep. It is 948. We'll take a time out when we come back. A conversation with number nine, Bebe, Josh Imator Bebe of the Fighting Illini football team. Back with that and more sports talk on a Saturday. Phone line is open, 356-9397. Back after this. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk rolls on at 9.50. No Illinois football today. A conversation with Josh Imatora-Bebe coming up in just a moment. Women's basketball this afternoon at the State Farm Center. Nancy Faye's team is 3-0 on the young season, taking on a 1-1 Illinois State team at 2 o'clock. 
State Farm Center this afternoon. You can hear the game right here on News Talk 1400 DWS. Volleyball last night, number eight, Penn State, in three straight over the uh, Fighting Illini, ranked number 25 this week, 25-15, 25-22, 25-18. The uh, scores last night, Illinois 12-12 now in the season, takes on Rutgers tonight at 7 o'clock. Earlier in the week, Lauren had a chance to sit down with the Big Ten Co-Offensive Player of the Week. Bebe caught four passes for 178 yards, and that come from behind win over a Michigan State. Josh, let's first of all talk about your, your history, your, your background. Your, tell me when you, when you were growing up, when did you start playing football? Oh, okay. So um, originally I was born in California, okay. Riverside, California, and uh, moved to Virginia when I was three. I lived there for four years. What was your parents doing? Uh, my mom was involved in like the pharmaceutical world. She okay. worked at uh, this company called like McKesson at the time, and my dad uh, had his own um, mortgage company. So, but so when I was seven, moved from Virginia to Georgia, and that's where I grew up. That's where okay. I spent the rest of elementary school, middle school, and high school. And I was primarily a basketball player. You know, played basketball when I was in Virginia when I was old enough to play, and then played basketball when I got to Georgia, and tried football in six grade but just since like basketball is such like a non-contact sport I didn't really like football because it was a little <laughs> too physical too for me seriously and I played defensive end and I was pretty good because like I was like fast and stuff like that but well, when know. did you develop physically for sure yeah so From basketball to football. yeah definitely definitely so I played football for one year in sixth grade didn't know if it was for me so stopped playing and just decided to focus on basketball and became one of the top um, top talents in the state um, was like a number three player in the state in eighth grade and then on my freshman year I was on the varsity basketball team but then just didn't really have a great set of experiences and didn't really play as much as I thought I would and kind of got discouraged in terms of like college prospects and had a lot of people telling me that I had like the physical attributes to play football and be great at football so then I was like all right well let me try it out again and instead of playing defensive end I started out with receiver um, my my, uh, my freshman year of high school and started to do kind of well, you know, and started to get kind of some interests from colleges just from like JV film playing on, on, the, on the JV team. And the next year after my sophomore year, I had 10 offers. You know, from Already? Ohio, yeah. yeah, from Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, um, Cal, Berkeley, you know, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. So I started to show some promise. So for, for, the, for me, that gave me more of kind of an incentive to continue to develop in the sport. When did USC get involved? Yeah, so and I started really to believe in myself in the offseason. Like I said, kept on working, kept on working, kept on working, kept on trying to perfect my craft. And then had a had a, a blowout, or not a blowout, what do they call it, a breakout junior season where I had 15 touchdowns on only 59 receptions and 1,100 yards, you know, so... Became, started to get noticed and was top receiver in the state of Georgia and you know started to get All-American honors, got invited to the Nike opening. My recruiting just started to open up from there and, and I just you know, went through the recruiting process and found and out And then you redshirted at, at uh, USC, yeah. I believe. And yeah. then the next year, you only played in six games and the next year, only in one. Now, how, how did injuries play into that? Yeah, no, so... Um, 
first year I redshirted just because like we had uh, Juju Smith and we had like other senior receivers, so people that were already established. So there wasn't really an opportunity like that for any freshman to play. And then the next year, I was going through uh, some some personal stuff, and it was hard for me to really stay focused on the field. And then the third year, where I was finally good, right? My redshirt junior year, um, I was doing really really well, and and second week of fall camp this was his last year before i came here second week of fall camp uh, they throw a fade up i go up i jump over a guy catch it stiff arm him to the ground running 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 the safety comes dives for my leg right and pulls my leg and like twists my ankle i still stiff arm him to the ground and i limp into the end zone 70 yard touchdown but now i have a high ankle uh grade through high ankle sprain so High ankle sprains are bad, aren't they? Bad. So I was out for, I think I was out for like seven weeks. Oh, boy. Yeah. So well, that's your season. Yeah, that was my season. That was supposed to be my breakout <laughs> season. And um, I just decided that it was it was time for maybe me for, to start somewhere new and where I can. Um, now, did you, you and Sydney both came. Who came first? Who influenced, influenced who? I don't know if anybody really influenced anybody. I feel like all of the decisions were made independently. I mean, he definitely gave me some insight and some intel. Did he, he committed did he, before I did. That's what I thought. I, yeah. I was in the portal before he was, but he committed before I, I did. But, um, yeah, so it was independent of each other. What would you consider your breakout game here? I, I remember you saving the Eastern Michigan game, and yet they came back and won it. But For you sure. caught the, the, the winning touchdown, I mean the tying touchdown pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, breakout game? I'd say a game where I started to really whatever was – I guess I guess Michigan, just because I was able to get opportunities to like make plays. Um, yeah, you had and, five catches for 102 yards in that one and a TD. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, that's a I don't know that's a very that's a mediocre game really honestly, um, but that's something where I was able to like kind of break the barrier of just having minimal yards and minimal catches, you know. So. Okay, you started in the sunshine of Southern Cal, yeah. and here you are in, in the, the cornfields of champaign Urbana. <laughs> in the snow. Yeah. But uh, I want to. What was it like playing at Purdue in a steady rain? I mean, that was a game where the receivers were basically blockers. Did you find Man. yourself doing that more than anything else? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we can't. You can't throw the ball in those type of conditions. Purdue tried to, didn't work out for them. It's true. They tried to, had a lot of interceptions and had a lot of drop balls. So, yeah, man, and conditions weren't great. It was cold. It was wet. It was raining. People didn't want to be there, you know, but, you know, we found a way to muscle through and win. So. And this last game, what, what's, I'll put the two games together. Wisconsin, Michigan State, you led for five seconds total in those two games. Five yeah. seconds total in those two games. First game you led in, when the game was over, and the second game you led in the last five seconds. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> what, have you ever been involved in anything like those two? Those two games, those two. I haven't played significant roles. I mean, tell people like, yeah, I was a part of the, the Rose Bowl team when we came back from Penn State. I think 21 points, also in the fourth quarter to kick game winner. Really? But I was on the sidelines. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like I was a redshirt, uh, my redshirt year. So, but being a part of it, like, and actually being a part of making the plays to help that happen, I mean, it's obviously a lot more rewarding than just being a part. Tell of me it. about the first, the, the first play of the fourth quarter. It looked like a simple play. You came from the left side and broke across the middle and cut it on the right side and went down the side. I mean, was, was there anything special about that play? You just outran everybody, it looked like. I don't, I don't know if it was really, it's, it's not as complex as people might see. Yeah, I just literally just ran across the field. Brandon found me and I was able to streak up the, the sideline 83 yards. So. And I remember a play against Eastern Michigan, fourth down and 10 from our seven yard line and the game is over if you don't catch that ball. As it turned out, we only tied it. But uh, same thing in this game. 
fourth and 17. Yeah. Tell me about that play. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I literally just took a deep breath. I made sure that I was slow to get to the line. I wasn't trying to rush anything. I was trying to make sure that I was as calm as I could possibly be and gave an explosive move outside, slipped him inside, was running, was running, running through it, came, caught it, turned my shoulders and got down. Well, yeah, so. it, that, uh, it looked like you're, a, I bet you're a pretty good rebounder in basketball because you wall off pretty good on some of those catches, don't you? Uh, I guess, man. I guess it's just instincts. I never think about it, but yeah, I guess. I got one more question for you. Imata Bebe. Imata Bebe. Where does that name come from? Imator Bebe. Imator. Well, you know what? They don't have it that way in the book. Oh, well, whoever they are. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Imator Bebe. Huh? Yeah, Imator Bebe. Like the I sounds like an E, like Imator Bebe. Okay. Yeah, Imator Bebe. Where's the name come from? It's uh, Nigerian. Nigerian. Now, how far back were your parents from Nigeria? Yeah, both of my parents were born in Nigeria, and they met out in California where they had me. And they, you were born in California? Mm, yep. Josh, thank you very much. Thank you. Josh, Imator Bebe. <laughs> yeah. Bebe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Number nine. Here we go. I'll be the quarterback for you real quick. Okay, guys, here we go. Throw it to number nine on one. Break. Uh, explain how you do that. Well, you make a quick cut and you <laughs> try to catch the ball. That's, and you're stronger and faster than <laughs> that mo- helps. most of the guys that are trying to guard you. 10 o'clock, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Hour number one of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk is in the books. We'll start hour number two with some Red Grange conversation with Lars Anderson. He's an author who wrote a book a few years ago called The First Star about uh, Red Grange. That and more coming up. Kofi Coburn also on the agenda. Scott Ritchie will join us as well. Phone lines are open, 356-9397. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk continues after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Lars Anderson joins us. You were at a symposium at the U of I this week that kind of was focused on Red Grange and his impact on a lot of things. Tell me about that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, back in 2009, I wrote a book called The First Star, and it was on Red. And uh, never in a million years did I think I'd be back here 10 years later uh, at a symposium about Red Grange. But it just shows you the impact that he had. You know, and I really focused on, um, one, his time here at Illinois, uh, how he just sort of captivated the country uh, through um, his, his exploits, the six-touchdown game against Michigan, and, uh, and then also the barnstorming tour uh, that, uh, that he went on and, and you know, the, the, having the first uh, agent was C.C. Pyle, who was such a colorful character, and then also George Hallis is a character in the book. It had to be kind of neat for you, I think, to actually come back here and be in the stadium where this all got started and where that historic game was back in 24, the dedication game. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I in, in the book, I recount uh, just his, his, the opening uh, sort of the, the opening kickoff. And I actually read that portion of the book uh, to the students and the crowd yesterday. And, uh, I mean, one thing that 
I think really helped propel Red Grange's popularity is that most people couldn't see him. You know, they would uh, they would hear about him over the radio, and, th- and, and that game was broadcast all around the Midwest, and that game was actually piped in to, um, to the polo grounds out in uh, New York where Grantland Rice was at the time, who was the most uh, prominent sports writer. And Grantland Rice, later that afternoon, he was watching Notre Dame, he would pen the most famous lead in the history of sports writing, outlined against a blue-gray sky, the four horsemen rode again. But when Rice was listening to what Grange was doing, that he, he just told himself, I gotta go see this guy. And uh, when, when Red and, uh, and, and Illinois went out and played Penn, that was the first time that Rice ever saw him play. And in a rainstorm, I think Red ran for over 200 yards, and Rice was just absolutely blown away. Well, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that it's a, it is a team game. And Red was, of course, the star of that time, but uh, Illinois must have had an awfully good team around him. Uh, and I bring that up because a year later, against Michigan, same Michigan team, a different coach, by the way, who is back from uh, being off for one year. Uh, I don't think I think we got shut out. Yeah, I mean, and the thing about Red is he was so modest and always very quick to give praise to his teammates, and he didn't like to talk about himself. And for me as a writer, that made it very challenging because he never sort of was introspective about his own life, at least publicly. And so he didn't talk about the fact that his mom died when he was five years old, which was the most traumatic event in his life and how that really shaped his life. Uh, He didn't talk about what it was like to have a dad who worked 20 20 hours a day, basically, as the only patrolman in Wheaton, Illinois. So Red really had to raise his younger brother himself and all this responsibility he had. But you can kind of deduce that Red used football as an escape from his everyday problems. And I think a lot of people use football as that. And um, and yeah, so, I mean, Red's personality, I don't think, I, I, I didn't come across one person who had a negative thing to say about Red Grange. And even people, you know, later on in his life would, would tell you the same thing. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't someone who liked to look backward. He liked always to look forward, you know, the old adage, advance, never retreat. And I, and I think uh, that was kind of how he lived his life. One who might have had a negative comment or two was Zupke, his coach, <laughs> right. immediately after he uh, decided to turn pro. Yeah. Well, at the, I mean, at that's a really strange thing. I mean, what's wrong with turning pro? Well, got to make a living, right? Yeah, that, and that's exactly what Red said. Got to make a living. And, um, you know, at the time, the NFL was considered kind of what uh, roller hockey is considered today. Uh, it was full of uh, questionable characters. Um, you know, you would you, sometimes you would get 2,500 fans to show up. Sometimes players wouldn't even show up to games. The league was really struggling financially. You had dozens of teams uh, go bankrupt and just disband. Um, the New York Giants, you know, one of the most famed franchises uh, in, not, in, in all of sports, were just so close to going out of business. And once the uh, barnstorming tour got to New York, and the owner of the Giants, uh, Mara, and the, and the Giants are still with the Mara family, 
He saw 75,000 people at the polo grounds. He said to a friend, my financial worries are over. And uh, Babe Ruth was there that day. And Babe Ruth uh, saw this, uh, saw about 15 photographers trailing Grange and just taking pictures of him left and right. And Ruth turned to a friend and said, gosh darn it, he's taking my, my photographers. <laughs> you know, and, and then uh, after the game, Ruth went to uh, Grange's suite in, the, in his hotel room in New York City and said, I got two pieces of advice for you. Don't read what they say about you and don't pick up a tab. <laughs> <laughs> Another couple of minutes with uh, Lars Anderson, an author who spent some time with Sports Illustrated over the years. What are you up to these days? You're down in Alabama, is that right? Yeah, I live in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I just finished my 10th book. It's called Chasing the Bear, How uh, Nick Saban and Bear Bryant Made Alabama the Top College Program of All Time. Um, currently working on two other books and uh, I'm also a full-time faculty member at the University of Alabama. I teach journalism and long-form writing and uh, I also do a radio show. I'm in your guys' business. I do a radio show with Jay Barker. Uh, we're on 12 to 2 uh, every day. We're, we're on eight, di eight different stations around the South. How did Saban do it? Well, you know, I, I just got bashed in the Wall Street Journal because <laughs> I didn't have some uh, elaborate explanation and I've been around Nick a long time. I arrived in Alabama. I lived in New York for a long time. I arrived in Alabama basically the same time Nick did and I, I've done SI cover stories on Nick and I've written two books on Nick. I feel like I really have a good sense of who he is and his success can be distilled into two simple words, hard work. And he's the most prepared person I've ever met. You know, every minute of every day is planned out. There is no wasted time with him, for better or worse. You know, for instance, he eats the same lunch every day. It's, uh, it's a uh, turkey salad in a styrofoam container. Why, why does he do that? It's not because he just loves that salad. It's because he doesn't want to take the time <laughs> to figure. He doesn't want to waste five minutes figuring out what he wants for lunch. And, uh, you know, I talked to one of his assistants who had been with him for about five years and uh, for, for one of the books I wrote. And his assistant told me, you know, in my five years with him, Nick and I had one personal conversation, and it was when my mother died. And he came into my office and he said, you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And he's like, good, you'll be fine. And that was uh, the extent of their personal relationship. So with Nick, it's, it's all business all the time. And, uh, you know, that's just the way he is. But he's also incredibly prepared. For example, Alabama does what they call a seven-deep dive on a recruit before Nick goes into the home. And this means that they talk to the seven most important people in that recruit's life, whether it's a guidance counselor, a neighbor, a best friend. And then, so Nick will have like an FBI-like dossier on this recruit before he gets, and he'll read that sort of on the private jet as he's making his way to the recruit's home. And he'll note, for instance, if, if the mom is an interior designer, he'll brush up on interior design and he'll comment on the curtain rods. You know, he'll do everything he can. And, and now Alabama's become such a, a factory of producing NFL players. His, the, the pitch is pretty simple. You come and play for me, you'll be in the league in three years. And, uh, you know, it remains to be seen how long it can be uh, kept going. You know, every dynasty ends, and I don't think we're seeing the end of it yet. 
just because uh, of the number one recruiting class he had last year, and they're on pace to have the number one recruiting class again this year. But, um, you know, he, he's a really interesting person, and, and he's very introverted. Uh, and, you know, he's not, not someone who, uh, who really likes to be in front of a crowd. Did he give you pretty good access? Over the years he has, he doesn't uh, cooperate with books. So, and that's just a, a standard policy that a lot of coaches have. Um, so, uh, you know, he's given me great access for, for magazine stories. I've spent a lot of time in his office and, and, uh, and just um, really getting to know him. And uh, I'm, I'm actually very fond of the guy. Uh, behind closed doors, you know, he's funny. He's really good one-on-one. And he's also one of the smartest people I've ever met. That's Lars Anderson. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. He wrote a book called The First Star, as he mentioned. It was back in uh, 2009 he wrote that. He was in town for a symposium at the U of I uh, this week. And he mentioned a couple of things that I liked. I liked Babe Ruth's advice. Don't believe what they write about you and never pick up a tab. <laughs> <laughs> and he mentioned Grantland Rice. Was Grantland Rice one of your early... Uh, Mentors slash heroes. I mean, <laughs> I he wish. he died back in 1954, but you were you were an up and coming guy. Would so you certainly had heard of him? I would think. Oh yeah, yeah, I heard of him, but I you know I like he was gone awful awful soon right. for me. He was. He was credited with writing a lead that turned into a poem. It was a poem that was used a lead in one of his stories, and that sounded like this. A streak of fire, a breath of flame, eluding all who reach and clutch. A great ghost, thrown into the game that rival hands may never touch. A rubber-bounding, blasting soul whose destination is the goal. There are two shapes now moving, two ghosts that drift and glide. And which of them to tackle, each rival must decide. They shift with special swiftness across the swarted range, one of them's a shadow, and one of them is Grange. Keith Jackson. I love that part. One of them is a shadow, and one of them is Grange. That game, we've talked about that game. Everybody knows about that game that follows Illinois. But when you, when you look at it, the stats are just unbelievable. The video was unbelievable, how fast he was. They, they didn't come close to catching him. He had a 95-yard kickoff return to open the game. He had touchdown runs of 67, 56, 44, and 11 yards. He threw a touchdown pass. He had 402 total yards in the game. And what did he do? Sit out the whole second quarter? Yeah, he did. <laughs> For whatever reason that was. Well, he had uh, 402 total yards, 212 yards rushing, 64 passing, 126 yards on kickoff returns. Red Grange. And uh, interesting, uh, they had a couple of authors in town who had written books. There are about 10 or 12 books out there that or on Red Grange, and it's kind of a fascinating 10.50, rather 10.15, make it 10.16 now, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll talk some basketball. Kofi Coburn is the Big Ten Freshman of the Week after his first three games. We'll talk about how those first three games have gone with him and more coming up here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren and Steve back with you after this. Moving up on 10:20 here on Saturday morning, the sun's shining in central Illinois. Illinois football off. 
some interesting games on the Big Ten schedule. We've talked about some of those. Illinois basketball getting set uh, for game number four of the season, Monday night at the State Farm Center against Hawaii. Hawaii comes to town with a 3-1 and one record. Kofi Coburn got the Big Ten Freshman of the Year honors after his first three games. Lauren and I had a chance to sit down with Kofi uh, late yesterday afternoon and talk about how things have gone so far. It's going well. It, um, it was everything I expected. Um, I trusted my teammates, trusted my coaches. This went out the end of what I have to do. Was there anything that happened in those first three games? And I realize it's still way early, but anything that has surprised you that maybe you didn't anticipate? Um, I just love the way that me and my team react to, um, to adversity, basically. Um, we had a tough, tough first two games, and the way we ended the first game in overtime, I love the way we came together and we didn't like get on each other. We came together as a unit and we overcome it. And the second game, in a very tough environment to win in, we were not there and we showed people what we were capable of. You played at a pretty high level in high school ball, but the speed of the game, have you noticed a difference at this level? Yeah, it's way different, 100%. I was going to ask you what you thought of Naji, the, the the player for Arizona, the center. What did you think of him? Najee's really good. He's a horse. You know, he never stops playing. Second effort, second effort all the time. He's going to be a really good player. And you've gotten in a lot of minutes. Did you expect to play in excess of 25 minutes uh, in these early games? Yeah, I definitely did. I mean, you did? Put the work in, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm a player. I'm a team player, so coach is going to play me. Regardless, because I go out there and I do what needs to be done. Um, I get dirty, I get rebounds, you know. I do things that most players don't want to do, so. Well, Coach said that after he, when he talked to you after, I think it was the um, first or second game, he said that you were a little tired. You told him you were tired, but you still you still like to play regardless, right? Yep, yep. I, I, need, I still need to get used to, like, playing college basketball games, you know, it's way longer than high school basketball games, and the tempo is way faster, so I still need a little bit more time playing more games, but yeah, I, I like being I like being on the court, so I'm going to tell them I want to play anyway. Are you having any kind of difficulty at all kind of getting used to playing with Georgie in there, because he played that position last year? Uh, you guys together, I think, is going to be something that will be hard to handle along the way, but is there an adjustment period? I'm not really, no, no adjustment period. Georgie is normally, he's, he's an original four. So he shouldn't be playing the five anyway. So he'd be blending perfectly. Georgie's a great passer to the post. And he understands big men like like me. Like he was a big man, so he understands that I like getting touchy. So he tried to look out for him whenever he's in. And we, we communicate great, and we have a great relationship. Big men aren't as good unless they've got some guards around. I mean, you got, you've got a pretty good uh, stable of guards. Yep, yep. Ayo is really, really good. He's one of the best I've seen at the, at the point guard. I have Trent Frazier, you know, he shoots the ball really, really well. That opens up a lot for me on the inside. And Andres Feliz, he's just like, he's a, he does everything. He's a great leader. Well, here you are in Champaign. Are you getting adjusted to the weather? Are you getting adjusted to being here? I mean, what's it like? I mean, I lived in New York for, for four years, so <laughs> I'm, I think I'm used to it. This is really windy here, so that's really bad. <laughs> and what's the coach tell me? You, you like to cook at home, do you? Yeah, I love to cook. Okay, you got to tell us what. I mean, I'm from Jamaica, so like, I know my, I used to wake up every morning, watch my mom cook, make breakfast. In the afternoon, they used to watch her like, make dinner, so I had to chip in sometimes and help her out, so that's where my love for cooking come from. And you, your mother, uh, you were raised in, in Jamaica. When did you come to the United States, and where is your mother now? I came to the United States in 2015. My mom lives in New York. She came here in 2011. 
Going to get her out to some of these games? Definitely, most definitely. <laughs> Another minute or two with Kofi Coburn, the uh, Big Ten freshman of the week. Only three games in, and coaches like to look at the season maybe in thirds or quarters or whatever. You've got the non-conference part of the schedule and then the Big Ten. What do you hope to get accomplished before the start of the Big Ten season, which isn't that far away with a couple of Big Ten games in December? Really have no spot-on goals. I just want to go out there every day. You know, I want to compete, play with my guys. I love them to death. Um, they're a really great group of people, and I like to be on the court with them, getting better each and every day. Speaking of getting better, where does that fall for you? What What do you want to improve on the most as you go along? Um, I want to improve and be more vocal. You know, that coach needs that for me this year. Um, being a better leader whenever I need to. Um, rebounding the ball on a high level, at a high level, so I'll give my team the chance to win. Uh, defensively, giving up too many points maybe against Arizona. Uh, what can you do to tighten that defense? What can I do to tighten the defense? Um, like I said before, communicate more. You know, help my guys whenever I can on balls, ball screen coverages. And just, we, gotta, we, have to, we have to give it 100% at all time. You can't take any plays off. Do you uh, watch other games on TV? Do you, do, are you watching some other teams? Uh, I know Michigan State had a big win the other night. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of good games on TV already. Yeah, I, I, I watch a lot of games. I recently watched the Michigan and um, Seton Hall game last night. It was a really good one. Yeah, that game that game came right down to the end. And Powell of Seton Hall, is he's a player and a half, isn't he? Yep, yep. He's a great player. That's Georgie's friend. And he's from New Jersey, but I'm, I'm from New York, so I used, to, I used to watch him when I was younger. He's a really good player. I think one thing that surprised me and maybe a lot of fans about you until we saw you was the way at your size that you run the court. It looks like you really enjoy to get out there and run. Yep, I mean, well, like I said before, I'm from Jamaica. <laughs> we're, the track, we're the track country of the world, so it's always it's in my blood to run. It's just a matter of getting in shape and make sure I'm in great shape to run. Speaking of getting in shape, how, how big a factor has Adam Fletcher been for you? Fletcher is great. Um, I couldn't ask for anything more. He's been out there with me working since summer, and I improved really um, a lot thanks to him. He's been great. He's been on me. He makes sure that I get great recovery. My body's well taken care of, and I couldn't ask for more. What did you weigh when you came here, and what do you weigh right now? Uh, I weighed 315, and now I weigh 285. <laughs> and a uh, solid 285, right? <laughs> yep, yep, solid 285. That's Kofi Coburn, everybody. Appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. The Big Ten Freshman of the Week through his first three games, Kofi Coburn joining us. One of his potential future teammates was in town last night. We talked about this earlier. Yeah, Coleman Hawkins, we talked to Scott Ritchie about him, and Scott's going to tell us how, how, how long it'll take him to crack the lineup. We'll do that after our break. The phone lines are open. It is 1027 WDWS Champaign-Urbana, Illini Pella Saturday. Sports Talk continues after this. Ten twenty-nine Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11. If you'd like to join us, feel free to jump in, 356-9397. Scott Ritchie, beat writer. You got a beat? You'll write about it. Basically, yeah. If it's uh, <laughs> Illinois related, I think I've covered it. If you got a beef, he'll talk to you about that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I will. Uh, I'd <laughs> you, prefer maybe not to, you but went I, out I'm to, not opposed. You went out last night and saw Coleman Hawkins and his prolific prep team. What do you think? He scored 17, had 10 boards, but he's got a couple of 
top-notch guards on that team kind of stealing the headlines, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, that team is going to go as Jalen Green and Amari Burnett go, and if they combine for, they have 60 together last night, um, they could win some games. But with that, I mean, I think Coleman Hawkins did a lot of the little things pretty well. I mean, offensive rebound well. Uh, half of his boards were on the offensive end. Um, had a couple block shots, a couple steals. Um, had I, think I had him for two assists. He had, could have had several more, but there was a few balls that you know, he had a really good pass on. His teammates just uh, fumbled out of bounds. Um, but yeah, with uh, the Illinois coaches in attendance, uh, maybe good to see that he could you know kind of fill the gaps a little bit. Came out, they looked like they kind of uh, recognized the moment because they came out with a play for him right out of the gate, didn't they? Yeah, and I mean, he pulled up from like <laughs> 25 feet, but he made the three. So, I mean, that's a good sign. But yeah, they, they, his teammates were looking for him early. I think they, I mean, they knew the, the game was, I mean, I mean, ideally, you know, to get him and Amari Burnett back to the Midwest, but it was in Champaign. He's going to be in a line eye, so, you know, get him the ball early. Was that an AAU game or a high school game? Technically a high school game. Uh, and the level of play was a bit uneven throughout. Um, maybe it's just, you know, I think that was Prolific Prep's fifth game. I don't know how many games St. Louis Christian Academy had played. But maybe they're just, they're rounding into form. How Am I that? right The Christian Academy had of St. Louis had three players from Canada? Am I right on that? Yeah, three of their starters were from Canada. I thought that's, uh, when they announced them, and I, I, I saw, is Alberta? That's not in St. Louis. Yeah. Well, they had <laughs> the three Canadians, and then uh, their center was from London. England. Oh, come on. Well, how do they put these teams together? How do they do this? And by the way, how does Prolific Prep bring a team out here for several days? Who's paying for that? Well, I think the their program is fully funded by Adidas. Yeah. So there's that money. I mean, I guess support of the, the school, I guess they go to Napa Christian is the, the actual academic side of that. But um, yeah, they have sponsorships and that's that. a lot of money to take a, a whole squad of players and fly them out here and fly them back and keep them here in a hotel and all that. Yeah, when well, they're going to be on the road, I think the next like six weekends. Okay. And they they play a lot of. They just play all over. Huh? Yeah, and they're in a bunch of different shootouts and tournaments against you know, a lot of, you know of the top teams in the country just throughout this entire season. So odd to see a high school basketball game here before the Illinois high school players can start. <laughs> yes, two weeks. I mean, I guess your practices, I think, have started, but you know, no games really until uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, Coleman Hawkins going to do a little signing ceremony today at noon at Papa Dell's. Yeah, he, uh, I asked him about why you know, he picked that, that, that particular place to do it, and he said on his uh, official visit you know, they took him to Papa Dell's and he really liked it, so he decided might as well go back. Well, you know a good thing when you see it and you, you have it and you remember it. A lot of people remember Papa Dills when they come back to town. Yeah, I'll let it endear him with the Illinois fan base even more. Let's uh, stay on basketball for a moment, Illinois basketball, two-and-one start. Kind of what maybe you expected when you looked at the schedule. You knew it was going to be tough to win two games in Arizona. Uh, and now Hawaii is up next. Hawaii played and won late last night. Your thoughts on this team as it gets set to move into the second week of the season? Anything happen that surprised you? I mean, I guess maybe the, the biggest surprise was how close the Nickel State game was, although they turned around and beat Pitt, so maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise. Uh, but uh, record-wise, it's like what I expected. I think the thing that stood out to me most about the Arizona game 
that Illinois is just not there yet. Um, you look at Arizona, um, they've got several pros on that roster. And Nico Mannion played like a, a guy who's going to be a lottery pick in June. And only lost by 21. And it's just there's a lot of hype and expectation for the season that it'll be better, that they'll get to the NCAA tournament. That's, that's certainly still on the table, and I think it, it's definitely possible. But they're just maybe not to that level of being – or beating you know, a top 25 team quite yet. 90 points by Arizona, and they're a really good team. I think they're the most underrated team <laughs> in the top 25. They should be up in the top 10 in my view, but I think they're really good. But 90 points, what's Illinois going to do about that defense? I mean, I'm not sure at this point because, I mean, Brad Underwood has changed his defensive style. I mean, he, he's gone away from the super aggressive, you know, denial – scheme that he ran the first two years at Illinois and he's run I guess you know, basically his entire career as a head coach um, well he got away from it at late in his Oklahoma one year there that's true and, and, it, and that's when they went on a run by the way I yeah, mean I made the turnaround happen I didn't uh, see it I just read about it you know yeah and but that was like because he went even more extreme at Oklahoma State where it was basically you run pack line and that's not quite what this is um and he's certainly incorporating more zone. Um, I think that's just probably what he had to do. Is that because he's got Georgie and, and, and Kofi in the lineup at the same time, you think, a lot of that? I mean, I think that's you know a big part of it because if they stayed man-to-man, you know, Georgie's going to be pulled from the basket a ton by you know smaller fours, which is basically what most people have, but not in the Big Ten. So you like Big Ten, you still need you know some size. Uh a lot of the same issues, though. I mean, guards are still getting to the basket mm-hmm. pretty easily against Illinois, and I'm not sure what the, the fix is there. I mean, Kofi Coburn at seven feet and I guess now 285 pounds, I mean, he'd, he'd make me think twice about attacking the basket, but uh, he's not in the game all the time. And you know, At least Arizona proved they, they had a lot of guards that could get downhill uh, quickly and, and get to the rim and finish. and. That's going to be a problem because there's a lot of good guards in the Big Ten. Part of those finishes are because of the turnovers, too, by the way. I mean, Illinois made 22 turnovers, and they got 20 points off the turnovers, which I imagine a lot of those were just breakaways. Yeah, and I guess if one thing that surprised me the most of the first three games is 62 or 63 turnovers uh, for the season. And uh, when you're averaging 20-plus, that's – Certainly, too many. And well, they're bringing the court ball down the court, and one fourth of the time they don't get a shot. That's not good. No, and it's not like it's just one thing that they're doing wrong that's leading to these turnovers. I mean, they're getting sometimes just getting the ball snatched out of their hands. Um, some sloppy passes, you know, offensive fouls. Like, I mean, I think most of Georgie's fouls have been offensive fouls this year. So it's it's a combination of things that doesn't make the solution simple because. There's not one thing that they can correct to limit those turnovers. We're talking Illinois basketball and Illinois football. Scott Ritchie, a beat writer for both sports. You can't be two places at once. Maybe you can sometimes, but uh, you weren't last week. You were with the basketball team in Arizona. Football team was in East Lansing. Were you in a position to watch that game last Saturday? Yeah, um, kind of a bit of a funny story. I drove from Phoenix to Tucson you know, before the game uh, with the idea that I'd, you know, get to Tucson and be able to watch. Um, after a kind of a long night Friday, though, uh, ended up taking a bit of a nap through the first three quarters, but woke up in time, I guess, to see the most important one as <laughs> Illinois scored 27 points. And I was just uh, 
flabbergasted by that. I mean, obviously it was the biggest you know, comeback in program history, so it wasn't to be expected, but they did everything they needed to do in the fourth quarter to win that game and you know, come back from 25 down. Yep. Phone line is open with Scott Ritchie. Join us if you like, 356-9397. Let's go to Princeton and say hey to Steve. Good morning, Steve. Yes, I read a Journal Star this week, and Chris Weber was quoted as saying, prep high school basketball games have become an afterthought. And all these AAU games like the one last night in Champaign, and I just wanted to get Scott's opinion on that. High school games is an afterthought. Well, I mean, I think it's still important to you know, some of the players that, that certainly play high school basketball, and especially the ones that maybe aren't going to be uh, college basketball players. But recruiting-wise, I think there's a lot more hay made, you know, to so to speak, uh, in the spring and summer when you know they're. I mean, let's just use Illinois as an example. The players they're recruiting are playing regularly you know, every weekend against you know, the top talent uh, in the country, and that's where you can maybe get uh, a more clear evaluation of their skills and you know, how they might translate to the, the next level. Um, yeah, high school basketball still is still important. I mean, you'll see guys that have maybe good junior, senior years in high school and you know, get more interest, but uh, when it comes to you know, consistent competition – I think that's what the, the coaches are maybe looking for on the recruiting trail, and they get that more uh, in the spring and summer. And you're seeing more and more high schools formed as basketball schools. Like you just mentioned, the St. Louis team that played last night, three guys from Canada, one from London. You you got this uh, team that came in here from California, prolific prep, and they've got players from all over. I mean, it's just – and and this is this is not they're, – they're not exclusive. I mean, there are lots of programs doing this. Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of – the rise of the prep school over the last, you know, five to eight years, even because uh, I mean, there have always been some. And you know, think back, you know, DJ Richardson, you know, transferred from Peoria to Finley Prep out in Nevada, sure did. and that was, Finley Prep was kind of the first big one, you know, you know a decade ago. But yeah, you know, there, there's more of them now. Uh, but I think high school basketball still matters. I mean, just go to uh, any Chicago gym on a Friday night, and it's still pretty important to those people. Anything else, Steve? Well, I just noticed I'd never heard of him, but I was watching the Michigan State game the other night, and this uh, I think its last name is Hill, Malik Hill, and they listed his hometown as Aurora, but he went to Sunrise Christian Academy out in Kansas or something like that, and I just wondered, did he ever play a game for a school, Aurora East, Aurora West, or whatever, but I, I was just surprised that he was from Aurora as his hometown. Yeah, he played as a freshman at uh, Mateo Valley and then transferred to Sunrise as a sophomore. So he, he played one year in Illinois at least. We had uh, – we talked to um, Hendrickson maybe six months ago, and he listed all the players in the, in the last couple of years that have left the Chicago area to play elsewhere. There are, there are outstanding Chicago high school players that don't play in high school here anymore. Yeah, it's an incredible number. I mean, you know, Khalil Whitney being one of those guys yeah. that only recruited in this last class. I mean, left you know Chicago. He was at Solario in the public league, and you know, transferred out to New Jersey and played on a, you know kind of a a real powerhouse team out there. As soon as players get to be really good, they start looking for a better place to play than the high school they're attending. Hey, Steve, we appreciate your call. Anything else? Nope, I've enjoyed the conversation and listen to you every Saturday morning. So. 
Thank you for the info. Yeah, appreciate you calling in. 356-9397 is the number at uh, 1041. If you'd like to join us, we're here until 11 o'clock. We'll take a time out and be back with more after this on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Moving up on 1044, if you're out and about next week, you might want to take a stop by the Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. They've got a a new series of products called the Pella Lifestyle Series that uh, they created uh, wood windows and patio doors to provide outstanding sound control and energy efficiency, all at uh, what they call an amazing value. Most styles are available with triple pane glass, which can improve energy conservation. The Appella Lifestyle Series is a leader in energy efficiency. Plus, you can personalize solutions for each room in your home with available product packages. With the Appella Lifestyle Series, you can choose the features that fit your project's unique style. And with many colors, finishes, and grill pattern options, you'll find Lifestyle Series windows and patio doors to complement your your home and budget. That's the Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Give them a call, 356-6474. You can check them out online as well, PellaofChampagne.com. They're open Monday through Friday and Saturday by appointment. Let's go back to the phones. Alan in Montrose is with us. Good morning, Alan. Morning, guys. Uh, What's the scuttlebutt that you guys know of on Adam Miller, if anything? Illinois. Say it How again, Lord. That? Say it again. I had your mic off. Oh, okay. He's going to commit to Illinois. That's what he's going to do. Is that enough scuttlebutt? <laughs> Is that okay with you, uh, <laughs> Alan? Yeah, that's fine with me, but uh, I thought maybe uh, Lauren was being facetious earlier. No, 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 no. no, no. no. I, it, he's coming oh, to he, Illinois. He is going to sign with him. I think he'll sign, uh, but I mean, I but to the, my my response was that he's going to commit to Illinois. Now, I can't guarantee it, but I'm like 90% sure. Now, that that can all change. I was 90% sure on Alexander once upon a time. More what than that. Yeah. <laughs> it was like 98%. Well, he, well I he, think he, he was he, pretty he, sure, too, and then yeah, things yeah. changed. He, well, that, and, and things can change. I mean, Miller's really good, and somebody could come in here at the last minute and make an offer that, he can't, that his mother can't turn down. But the problem, the thing about it is his mother – is dating Irvin, Mike Irvin, and the f- connection there is that Irvin's his coach, so it's a it's a tie-in between the three of them. And I think that Illinois is solid with him. I think they're, they're solid with Irvin. What else you got, Alan? That's it for this week. Come on, man! You got you, you got to have an opinion about football or something, don't you? Uh, I'm so worn out from what happened in the last few weeks in football. I don't know what to think. Uh, <laughs> it's on a positive. It's on a positive side, obviously, but uh, it, it's so boring this weekend because my Packers are not even playing too. So I have nothing to root for this week. All right, we appreciate the call as usual. Yeah. Big game in Iowa City, Scott. Uh, today, before the Hawkeyes start thinking about the Fighting Illini next week, they're playing a. The Minnesota Golden Gophers. Are you on the Minnesota bandwagon? What do you What do you think about this team? I mean, they're obviously doing something right to still be undefeated at this point. And you know, I think last week's win against Penn State was obviously maybe their biggest test of the season, and they they passed it. It's it's hard to kind of connect how poor they looked in the first three weeks, where they barely 
you know, escaped with wins again. It's hard to get that out of your mind, isn't it? But but then I mean they put you know forty one up on Illinois, um, beat Penn State. I mean that was you know a huge win because Penn State at that time was you know with the the number four team in the college football playoff. I mean which yeah. has since changed. But uh, if they can go into Kinnick and and get a win, then I don't see how you can't say that you know PJ Fleck has that uh, that boat rowing pretty well. Penn State went into Iowa City and got a win. Minnesota beat Penn State. So yeah, so I guess the transitive property. Dots, the, <laughs> but it's uh, I mean, that could be a, a a big game for Illinois. I mean, if uh, Iowa somehow, I mean, if Iowa beats Minnesota, then you know, the door is still open for Illinois to win the West. They're going to need a lot of help, including Penn State not winning, or excuse me, Minnesota not winning the rest of the year. But if Minnesota beats Iowa and then Illinois can do the same, then they jump the Hawkeyes, you know, significantly in, in the bowl hierarchy and you know, maybe, I think that's uh, a big thing yeah. I mean that you know because I as we talked to Scott Doctorman he said that you know Iowa can't compete in the outback they can't compete in the pinstripe they can't compete in the gator for various reasons which means that Illinois could scoot up the the, the ladder if they particularly if they beat Iowa yeah well, those so various be, reasons are they've been there recently yeah. in the mm-hmm. time frame and yeah so yeah you're right it and just to be bowl eligible, six wins—that's nice. That's okay, but you uh, certainly help your chances if you pick up another win or two. Yeah, and I mean, since Iowa can't participate in so many of these bowls, that opens up you know trips to Florida for Illinois, so they could maybe avoid going to New York in December. <laughs> and I could avoid going to New York in December. <laughs> and you'd like it warm, wouldn't you? I, I'm still missing Arizona a little bit. <laughs> well, right this minute, I would say that the pinstripe would be the the leading candidate for Illinois if nothing changed. But, of course, things will change. Yeah, they got two more games. And yeah. and three more games for a lot of people. So, um, with Illinois having the bye week. So. Eight and four is a lot different than six six. It just is. You're a math guy, too. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> and it make a big difference in that bowl selection. That goes right along with his famous quote of uh, in basketball, the three-pointers add up quicker than the, <laughs> the two-pointers. Yeah. That sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you'll be uh, going to Iowa City. You're a... You're a double beat guy, as we said, with football and basketball, but you can't cover both in the same day in most cases. So you're going to stick with football next week? Yeah, I'll be headed to Iowa City with Bob Osmussen, and we'll have Illinois basketball covered by, by someone. We'll be there. I'm, I'm sure it'll be Matt. But tell us about Hampton, the, the basketball team that will be here that night. Yeah, I mean, that's. I mean, Illinois is going to be the favorite, obviously, uh, against Hampton, but uh, they have a guard. I was kind of interested in seeing play. Uh, Jermaine Morrow was one of. Uh, the top scores in the country last year and I mean could drop 40 at the the drop of a hat I think um, and Illinois had that happen to them before I think you just think back to the, the Winthrop game and I guess that was, was that John Gross's Mc- last year uh, Keon Johnson had 38 in in that game which was uh, I mean fun to watch from just a basketball sense I don't think Illinois fans had a lot of fun but uh, Jermaine Morrow was a really good scorer last year and then a lot of his teammates graduated, so there's even more on him, so he could take all the shots probably yeah, next Saturday. That'll be fun to watch, but Illinois got some action before the couple of games before that with uh, uh, Hawaii coming in and the Citadel midweek. Yeah, um, you know, Hawaii, it's been a while since they've had you know a 21 season, but they've just been kind of steady in the last five years or so You know, under, under their coach. Uh, I don't know, I haven't really – you know, dive too deep into them, but you know the Citadel is a team that uh, could play into Illinois' hand a little because they like to p- 
push the tempo and you know, shoot a lot of threes. And so if they make them, that, that's trouble for Illinois because they're having a little an issue guarding the perimeter. But Illinois wants to play fast as well, so maybe that uh, turns into a bit of a shootout. Any hint on when Tevian Jones will return to play? I don't think there's been any hint. I mean, Brad Underwood has consistently said, you know, Tevian Jones will be back when he, as in Brad Underwood, decides he'll be back. I mean, there's, you know, I don't think there was like a, just a, a set suspension length, you know, for this one. It's just whenever, you know, Underwood feels like uh, maybe Tevian Jones has, you know, shown enough to, to, deserve, to, to deserve to get back on the court. Hawaii, by the way, is 3-1. and one. They won last night against Portland State in Honolulu, 83-75. They also beat Pacific at home, 72-67, and lost at home to South Dakota, 81-75, beat Florida A&M, 65-52. So they've played all home games well, so far. I was looking through their schedule, and they have just two games on the mainland um, between the start of the season and, like, the – second week of January I mean obviously travel's a little trickier for them so they they host I think three tournaments that's because I mean who doesn't want to go to sure. Hawaii and then we're surprised though they're only playing one game on this trip to the mainland yeah because the next one's not for and like a week and a half or two weeks seems like I remember them when they would come over usually they'd play more than one game and yeah makes, which makes sense yeah it does because it you know again they have a lot further to fly <laughs> than everybody else but yeah and then when they get to big west play it's um, they do two games on the mainland at a time, and then you know back home for two. So uh, just travel's tricky when you're the only the only show on the islands, pretty much. They could probably play all home games if <laughs> I, I'm sure they, they could find, find people to to travel. <laughs> yeah, as long as uh, there was some. Uh, I, know, I think it come down to finances a little bit, but I I would be fine playing I've in worked Hawaii. A, worked a couple of games in the, their home gym, the Stan Sheriff Center. In Honolulu, Illinois went there, went there and won a couple of times on the way to Maui. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of it's been the, the warm-up yeah. for the Maui Invitational. A little, little Friday night tune-up, and uh, one was a last-second shot. D.J. Richardson hit from the corner. Wasn't uh, Wallace, uh, who coached, Lauren Wallace, who coached for uh, Lincoln, wasn't yeah. his mm-hmm. brother mm-hmm. the head coach at the University of Hawaii? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't re- know if he still is or not. No, that was a yeah. long time ago. <laughs> I'm sure that's changed since then, but. Hadn't been that long ago because I I remember it and uh, okay he might have been <laughs> when I was there I mean that was back I don't know five or six eight years ago yeah, their okay. coach now has been there I think this is his sixth season mm-hmm. but yeah um, yeah the, the win against Hawaii in 2012 with DJ Richardson that worked out well because the Illinois win one Maui Invitational right. after that I wanted to ask you what your uh, take is on the um, extension of uh, Josh Whitman's contract and the, and a little more money and. And by the way, what's your reaction to all these uh, uh, codicils or whatever you want to call them, these additions to the contract where you get paid extra if the team wins games or if so many graduate or whatever? We'll let him think about that a minute while we take our last break. Okay. And then we'll get that in when we come back. Stay with us. Our final break and some final words after this. About three minutes before 11 o'clock, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly, Scott Ritchie. Scott Ritchie's question before the break was concerning uh, Josh Whitman's contract extension to 2024. A nice raise. Your thoughts on that? I think the thing that probably stands out the most about maybe why this happened isn't so much the the on-field or on-court results because 
uh, until this le- recent run with football, there haven't been maybe many, and you know, basketball is still you know trying to get there, but it's just the the facilities. You know, football has a new practice facility. Ubbin's going to get renovated at some point. I mean, the the fundraising is going for that. Uh, baseball is going to get a new training facility. Softball is getting something. Uh, soccer f- is halfway there. Tracks coming. Um, all these things that Elmer probably needed, and you know, Josh Woman has you know, helped spearhead with. You know, uh, obviously, you know, a lot of your work from the you know front racing side of things with Howard Milton. So I think that's probably the the, tr- the biggest trigger for an extension uh, at this point. And as far as uh, coaches getting and and athletic trainers getting extra money for victories, how do you feel about that? Considering the players don't get anything for that, and they're the ones that you know maybe went out there and actually won the game, uh, it's a little little funny to me. Yeah. Uh, it's like. Coaches are paid to, to win games already. Paid pretty pretty handsomely to do so. And then you know, athletic directors, I mean, I guess you hired the coach and you know they recruited the players, so there's a, a tree there, but you know, I don't know that results-based I think it's okay for a guy like Wainwright to get paid extra at this point in his career if he wins X number, makes X number of starts. But I just – there's something that doesn't hit me right about this. And, and all the coaches who – some smart lawyer some years ago got this started, and now every contract across the country has got it. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just bonus-laden you know, contracts. And um, if you start giving the players a piece of the pie, then, then sure, I don't, I don't care what, what you give the coaches. But uh, there's not a, a lot of equity but in I just, that. I don't want the players to be paid just because they won or because, they, you know, well, no, the result of the game shouldn't be the factor. If anything, it should just be the, the Olympic model, and I've said that before. Isn't that what you had when you wrote a good column? You got you got extra? <laughs> if I ever wrote a good one, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I set you up for that one, didn't I? Appreciate your time, Eric Scott. Thank you very much for stopping in with us. No problem. Joining uh, Kofi Coburn, Lars Anderson, Josh Amator Bebe, Scott Docterman, and Howard Griffith as guests on this edition of Illini Fellows Saturday Sports Talk. Thanks to Blake Landa, our producer as well. For all the aforementioned folks, this is Steve Kelly. Thanks again for listening here on WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Have a good weekend, everybody.